Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Henderson MB Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information on our church, visit hendersonmbchurch.com. Uh, so sometime in the 1760s, Edward Jenner, uh, he's in medical school, and he starts to hear this rumor that in uh, some of the rural areas, the dairy workers are not contracting smallpox. And so he continues to follow up with that over his medical career. Smallpox is a, it's a horrible disease. It kills about 30% of its victims. Those that survive are, are typically covered in, in like these, these round uh, little scars from from sores that they get. It is one of two diseases that is considered to have been eradicated from the world, which is great news. Um, but back then, the, the link was is that these dairy workers, some of them would get cowpox, uh, which is different than, than smallpox, but it is related. And, and cowpox has very mild effects on humans, and so it, it wasn't that bad. But so in 1796, Jenner takes some fluid from the, the, the hand of a milkmaid, actually some pus, which is a little bit gross, uh, and he scratches it into the arm of an eight-year-old, I'm presuming with his permission, um, and then he w- waits six weeks, and then he gives that same boy smallpox, like he, he infects him that way, but the kid never got smallpox. He was fine. And that is really kind of the first known vaccine. And then uh, later on, uh, Louis Pasteur uh, developed it, it a lot more. Um, A vaccine is a biological element that provides immunity from another disease. A vaccine typically contains an agent that resembles a disease-causing microorganism, and it's often made from a weakened form or a variant of the original disease. So then, later on, when the body encounters the real thing, it successfully rejects it because it's been trained to do so. So we're working through um, the, the book of Acts. We were in a sermon series called Acts 29, 28 chapters in Acts. We are living out the, the 29th chapter. Today we're in chapter 8. We're looking at, at Simon, the sorcerer, Simon, the magician. And uh, just kind of to jump ahead and say, our danger, if, if we're like real honest, like our danger is not that we're going to get seduced or distracted by sorcery or that we're just going to get lulled into that because that just seems so cool. Our danger is that we are going to get distracted or seduced by a watered-down version of the gospel and in doing so get vaccinated against the true gospel. That, that's our danger. That, that we will get vaccinated against the gospel. A vaccine is a biological element that provides immunity from another disease. It typically contains an agent that resembles... The disease-causing microorganism is often made from a weaker form or variant of the original, and then when the body encounters the real thing, it rejects it. Um, So we're in chapter 8. Let me kind of give you a summary of this uh, real quick, and then I'll I'll read through it about, uh, in my Bible, it's called Simon the Magician Believes. You may, there may be different subheadings uh, in your Bible if you want to follow along, but I am in Acts, I'm in chapter 8. Verse 9, and, and I'll read all this to you here in a minute, but let me just, just kind of summarize it for you. So, early days of the church, the church is growing like crazy. It's fantastic. Like, it's just, it's exploding, uh, but it's primarily in Jerusalem. 
um, but also it's primarily at that time still kind of focused or centered around on the Jewish people. Um, they're having some, you know, growing churches have growing pains or some of that going on. Uh, and, and one that gets named is around food distribution to some of the widows. So seven men are chosen to, to work the kitchen, take care of this. But two of the men really see their ministry just expand and go beyond that. The first one that gets named is Stephen. We read about him here over the last couple of weeks. He gets martyred. Uh, the next guy that gets mentioned is Philip. We're right in the middle of hearing some stories about Philip. Um, but when Stephen is martyred, persecution uh, breaks out and, and the church scatters all over the place. So Philip is part of that. He too leaves and he heads down to Samaria and he preaches the gospel in Samaria. Um, this is a pretty significant kind of transition or shift in the church, uh, but it's all really good stuff. Um, he, he's preaching the gospel. It's going great. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. It's all really good stuff. But then there's also this guy in Samaria, and, and he's, his name is Simon, uh, and he would practice magic, and all the people thought he was amazing, and they associated with him with the gods. Now, we don't really get anything more than that, right? Like, was this guy, like, really good with card tricks, you know, and like, oh, you pulled out, you know, the seven of clubs. Like, was it just kind of sleight of hand, or was there some kind of, like, demonically empowered magic that was going on? We don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. We're, we're not sure, but it's probably somewhere in, in between those two. Uh, Simon, it says he believes. It says he gets baptized. And then it says that he follows Philip around, basically watches him. Kind of like, I don't know if it's like some kind of ministry intern or just a tag along or just kind of an annoying kid that doesn't leave you alone. I, I don't know. But he's following Philip around the whole time, checking it out. So the apostles are still up in Jerusalem. They hear about what's going on in Samaria. They're excited. So they send down Peter and John. Check things out. How can we help? What's going on? That kind of thing. Peter and John show up. They love it. They start praying for people. Um, as they're praying for people, the, the Holy Spirit kind of visibly lands on them. And once again, we don't know what that means. I mean, do they, are, like, are they just really happy? They start speaking in tongues? Like, we don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. I guess it's not relevant. But there's some kind of very visual display of the Holy Spirit landing on, on these people. Simon is captivated by this whole thing. Um, and he offers money to Peter. And he says, give me this skill, this trick, teach me what you're doing so that I can do it too because I want to be able to lay hands on people and then they do crazy stuff. Peter calls him out on it, says some things that were, I mean, kind of rude. I mean, <laughs> honest and truthful, but we would consider it, you know, pretty, pretty harsh words. It really... Um, Based on what Peter says, it really calls into question whether or not Simon was ever a believer uh, at all. Um, so, so Peter tells Simon that he needs to repent or bad things are going to happen and all this other kind of stuff. And then the story ends. Then Luke just jumps to the next thing and, and carries on. We have no idea how, what, what goes on here or, or kind of whatever happened with Simon. Let me read this to you. Um, chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. 
And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles uh, at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For, they, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And then we move on. Uh, a couple observations. Um, so Philip leads uh, Simon to, to Christ. I mean, it, it says that, that he believed. It says that Philip baptized him. Uh, Philip even kind of lets him follow him around. Despite all of this, though, Philip never sees the danger in what's going on. It's not until Peter shows up and they have this kind of this conversation where, where it's really kind of revealed what's going on with Simon. And so somehow Philip missed it. Maybe it just wasn't revealed at the time. Maybe Philip was still just kind of young in ministry or inexperienced or trying to figure stuff out. I'm not sure. But, but in some ways, Peter really kind of bails him out sort of in some ways because had Simon been allowed to carry on, basically kind of with his deception, it, it could have caused a lot of problems. I'm not sure. Um, so it, it really took Peter to, to zone in on, on how serious this situation is. Also, it's important to note that when Peter tells Simon to repent, he doesn't. Peter says, you need to repent, and Simon responds with, would you pray for me that none of those bad things would happen? There, there, there is not a willingness on Simon's part to repent, and repent means to turn from, but to, to repent from his sins, to turn, turn away, uh, that kind of thing. It is not true repentance if you're not willing to do the prayer yourself. If you're asking for other people to pray for you just so you can avoid some inconvenience, that's not actually repentance. So Simon never actually engaged with that command to repent. I think it's also important to note that, that Simon's desire from what we see, it was never to submit to the Holy Spirit or to be led by the Holy Spirit. Simon wanted to control the Holy Spirit. He wanted the power so that when he laid hands on people, then miracles and cool things would happen. So there is no desire 
to submit or to come under the Holy Spirit. Rather, it's a desire to have authority and rule over what the Holy Spirit does. Was Simon saved? Like, like well, we meet Simon in heaven because it says that he believed. It says he was baptized. Um, don't know, but it doesn't look good. Uh, scripture doesn't really tell us, but, you know, in reading the, the commentaries and they're really kind of diving in on the Greek and the grammar and Peter's use of this word and this phrase and, and cross-reference, none of them really said kind of like yes or no, but kind of the consensus was like, uh, it, it doesn't look good that this guy ever really, truly gave his, you know, gave his life to, to Christ. Um, the consensus seems to be that, that he wasn't. Um, I mean, as, as men and I, brethren, we believe that a person cannot lose their salvation. So this case would just be evidence that, that he was never saved to, to begin with. And here, just a, a word on salvation uh, and, and how this works, right? Because Scripture doesn't really have like a neat and tidy like prayer, you know, where, you know, like, like Scripture doesn't have a sinner's prayer. Like that was something that we came up with, kind of summarizing a bunch of verses. He, like we even use the terminology, accept Jesus into your heart, which is good, but like I don't think that's an actual quote from a verse somewhere. That, that's once again kind of our summary. Sort of the most direct, clear directions, Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses it and is saved. So salvation, salvation is an event. And some of you, you know the event. Like you know the time where that transition took place. For some of you, it's like, yeah, more of a process, you know, junior year and whatever. It's, it happens somewhere in there, kind of this emotional, spiritual journey. So you don't know the exact time, when it happened, but you know it happened somewhere in there. That's fine. That's great. But it's still, like, it still happened at a specific point in time just because you cannot sort of be a child of God. Like, like, Scripture talks so much about saved, not saved, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light, child of God, not child of God, right? Like, it, like, even if you don't know when the moment happened or you think you do and you have it wrong, like, whatever. But you, like, it's not like you're, like, 50-50 saved, you know, where it's like, yeah, I kind of I slid into the kingdom over a three-month period, you know. I'm about 60% saved and maybe next week about 70% saved. Like, like, it doesn't work like that, right? Like, like you're one or, or the either. Uh, and once again, like historically for Mennonite brethren, it's very important that, that you be able to articulate that experience when it happened, what it was like. So salvation is an event. Sanctification, that word gets used a couple different ways, but in this context, sanctification is the process by which you're growing in holiness, right? So we're using phrases like become more mature, deepen your faith, grow in your Christ-like character, that kind of thing. And then you come to the event of glorification and that's where you die and you go up into heaven so your your salvation your journey will be the event of salvation the process of sanctification and then the event of glorification and it, where where the difficulty comes in is where someone shares with you the event of their salvation like what we have with simon but then you see nothing in the process of sanctification and you go like what 
Like, what's, what's going on here? Here's the other thing about Simon. Um, there's several places where early church leaders, like in the first couple hundred years, um, they wrote of this heretical Gnostic sect of Simonians, and they all tied it back to this guy in the book of Acts. And, and so the, these early church fathers in, in the early church uh, were talking about this area, very influential man, Simon, from the book of Acts, who, who led this whole movement uh, of Gnosticism, and uh, which is, uh, Gnosticism would say that, like, matter is evil, but the spirit realm is good, and God is unknowable, and salvation, you just need this secret knowledge, and, and that kind of thing. So it doesn't really look good for, for Simon. So what to do with this? I, I think the core of what Luke is telling us is that it's possible to make a counterfeit response to the presence and the activity of the Spirit. It's possible for someone to put on a good show, but they've never actually truly surrendered their life to Christ. They've never truly repented. Um, we, we have... I mean, Simon was drawn in. He was distracted. Like, he, he, was, he was fascinated and amazed by the miracles, by obtaining power for himself to, to do these miracles. I think, though, if we're honest, just like our group, our culture, like, that's not a distraction for us, right? Like, if you hear that some guy down the street is, like, speaking in tongues and healing people of asthma or something like that, like, like, mo- like a lot of people here are going to respond with skepticism, not envy. Okay, like that's not, you know, people aren't going to leave in droves to be like, ooh, you know, take a number, sign me up, right? Like that's not our, that's not our thing. I think we have other dangers. I think we have other pitfalls. I think our dangers, our distractions from the true gospel, which is what happened here. Simon got distracted from the true gospel because he just got, he was just so fascinated with the miracles. I think our distractions are around tradition. I think they're around valuing personal experience over scripture and I think they're around being vaccinated against the gospel. I, I think that's where we're kind of in, in danger of veering off course. Um, tradition. Tradition is a very subtle idol. Uh, it's smooth. It's gradual. It seems so innocent. Um, and I just, and to be clear, like, I don't have a particular tradition that I'm thinking of for our church. But just when you're a 140-year-old church, you got to recognize that that might be a potential pitfall. Okay? So I'm not... I'm, I'm not gunning after anything in particular, but, like, we're old people. 140 years, that's old. So we got to be, be on the lookout for this. The church is 140. No one here is 140. Um, tradition, it's easy to recognize the extremes in others. It, it's harder to recognize it in ourself. Remembering the past is good, okay? I'm all for knowing history. That's super important. I'm all for adhering to scriptural truth. Super important. But sometimes things can just get blurry on tradition versus scripture. Tom Rainer is a, he's an author and he has a great podcast and he is a researcher. He's been a pastor. He was CEO of, of Lifeway for years and years and years. And uh, he would research and surveys and all kinds of stuff. But he, in his work with all of these churches, he started to take note of different traditions that for some churches were actually interfering really with their kind of with their gospel proclamation. And so he started to kind of take note and and tabulate. And so here's some of the the traditions that he noticed. He said the number one tradition that that really interfered with a good gospel presentation, spiritual maturity, was the first one was worship and music style. 
So it's not as bad as it used to be, but out of the top ten, it was still number one. Second one was the order of the worship service. Like some people, you change up the, the order of the worship service on them, and they just, they lost it, right? Um, the third one was the time of the worship service. You know, you shift from 10.30 to 10 o'clock, and you have mutiny, you know, or 10.30 to 11, right? Um, role of the pastor, he writes, the pastor is expected to be omnipresent and omniscient. Um, committee structures, uh, that's, you know, uh, using that. Specific ministries and programs, he says the healthy churches are constantly evaluating the effectiveness of their, of their ministries and programs. And if it's not effective, don't do it. Do something else. Location of church facility. At first I thought, eh, that doesn't apply to us. And then I remembered, oh yeah, back in the day when our church building was out in the country and they had a vote on whether or not to move it to town and then there was a church split. So that's, that's part of our history too. Uh, the use of specific rooms, he has some brutal stories on that. There was one church I had since closed down. They had a room. It was a nice room. One family had donated a lot of stuff for this room. There kind of became this power control over who gets to use the room and when and for what and whatnot. This family actually snuck in after hours and changed the locks on that room so that only they had a key to it. And then the rest of the church refused to challenge them and say, you're out of line. And they just went with it. And now it's an empty building. Uh, Business meetings, how business meetings are done, but ours will be great, but just saying. Staff ministry descriptions was the last one he named. Here's the thing. In my mind, doing a tradition just because a tradition is actually like a really dumb idea. But on the flip side, to do a new thing just because it's the new thing is an equally dumb idea. I think our criteria needs to be, is this an act of obedience to the direction of, that God is leading us? That's the second question. Second question we default to is like, what works? What's effective? Let's do that. Secondly, I fear that, th- this one I, I fear we, we do a lot more than we realize, but viewing my life through Scripture rather than viewing, or or as compared to viewing Scripture through my life. So so let me give an example. All right, so Scripture, I'm going to use this bulletin, right? This bulletin represents my life. So I read something in the Bible. I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. Um, Okay, so so my life, I've never seen it or experienced it. If I go like this, then I say, well, even though I read it, I've never seen it or experienced it, I guess it's not true or it doesn't apply to me or it's just cultural. Versus, I read something in the Bible, I've never seen it or experienced it, I guess my life is wrong, or I need to change, or there's something that I'm not tapping into. Are you guys tracking with me? Let me just kind of have a little fun with this and and give you another another example. 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul writes, I desire that in every place that men should pray Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So, gentlemen, do we say, well, the Bible says I should lift my hands when I pray, but it's kind of uncomfortable and people see my sweat stains and we don't really do that here, so it was probably just cultural for them and doesn't really apply to me. Or do we say, 
I should probably just stick my hands in the air and just get over my own insecurities. Okay, now before you jump to con conclusions, know that the second part of that sentence is that women should dress modestly. Okay, so what are you going to do? But then the third part of the sentence is they shouldn't wear braided hair. So I recognize it does get complicated, but you get the point. And I, and I, I maybe, gentlemen, like, maybe we need to change. Vaccination, third one. Um, mentioned that before, works by giving you just a little bit of the real thing and you get used to it and you respond it, but then when you're exposed to, to, to the fullness of it, you reject it. Same thing can happen in Christian community. We're raised in a Christian culture. We go to church. It's all we've really known. Attending church is kind of habit or tradition, but then, but then when we're called to, to deeper repentance, I mean, there's just, there's no growth. Um, and then when we experience something dynamic, we reject it. Explain to me how, how we can have these stories where someone gets saved at a young age, they go to church almost all their life, and then they die a grumpy person with almost zero reputation for peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like, how does that happen? When someone says, I had a, like, here's my salvation story— but my life exhibits zero fruit of the Holy Spirit. I, like, there, I can think of people I really, young and old, where I really don't want to do their funeral because I know that they have probably a salvation story, and yet their life has zero evidence, and so I don't know what to do with that. I honestly don't know what to do with that. Like, what do you say in those circumstances? They claim the event of salvation, but when it comes to the process of sanctification, there's simply no evidence there. And so you're really left wondering kind of what's going on. Peter's counsel to Simon was this. Um, Peter gives a warning to Simon uh, with some strong language, but he, he calls out two things. He says that Simon has a lot of bitterness. And that's bitterness... That is an acid that will just eat your soul out. All right? So he, he says he has a lot of bitterness and that he's still bound up in a lot of sin. And so he tells Simon that, that he needs to repent, that he needs to repay that, or pray that he needs to ask for, for forgiveness. Let me explain communion. So we're doing communion today. Um, we, some days we pass a plate and, and some days we, we do this. Um, we'll have worship going the, the whole time. The worship team will be up here. Um, you can, we, two tables in the back, one in the front, you can come up individually. You can come up as a family, kind of whatever you want to do. It takes a while, so be patient. Uh, if there's three, four people in line, just, just wait. Uh, and give them some space, right? Like, don't crowd in. Like, we're praying for these people. Like, you know, give us some breathing room, people. Um, we will offer to pray for you. You're welcome to accept. You're welcome to decline, right? We won't either way. If you, if you accept, then we'll say, hey, is there anything specific? Uh, and if you share something, then we'll pray for that. And if not, we'll just pray whatever comes to mind, and, and it'll be fine. Um, 
also we practice an open communion table so that means that if you're someone where you can say yes i have given my life to jesus and jesus is my lord and savior you are i mean that that's about it you are welcome to to join us um for communion and actually uh worship team you guys can come forward and and um care team you guys can can go set up at, at the communion tables uh, when you come forward, we'll serve you the elements. It'll be something like the bread of Christ broken for you, uh, the blood of Christ shed for you. Uh, then we'll ask if, if we can pray for you, and, and you can respond however. I think how we have it set up is that we have one table of, of two men, one table of two women, and I think a married couple. And so go to, go to whichever one you want. I'm going to pray, and then we'll just we'll enter into this process. Worship music will, will be going. Spend a little bit of time, um, just whatever business that, that you need to do with God. And when you're ready, uh, find a table and, and come forward. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to lift my hands to do it. Uh, and I'm going to pray that we will not get distracted. That we won't get distracted by latest trends. That we won't get distracted by traditions. I'm going to pray that, that we would submit ourselves to Scripture. Um, and that, and ask for forgiveness in any place where we have valued our life experience over the words of Scripture. And I'm going to ask that God would just make us tender to the gospel and to the Holy Spirit that we would not be vaccinated uh, against the gospel. And then when I'm done with that, you guys can um, take your time and then head to wherever. When the worship team has a sense that we think everyone's done, then they'll wrap things up and, and we're done. So... Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, once again, we, we come and we offer ourselves before you. And Lord, we just want to make ourselves open and vulnerable to you and to hear your voice. Lord, it is our prayer that we would not get distracted. We would not get distracted by new trends. That we would not get distracted by tradition. But rather that we would walk in obedience and evaluate effectiveness and walk in that path. Lord, if there is any place where we have used our life as the filter in, in viewing Scripture, where we have placed life experience over what your Scripture says, then, Lord, we apologize. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. Lord, our desire is always to filter our life with the word of your truth. And, Lord, if there is a spot that seems to conflict with what Scripture says and what we have experienced, then, Lord, we say that it's our life that is out of step. And we want to be obedient to what your scriptures say, to how you are leading us, Lord. And Lord, we want to be tender to your gospel message, to your Holy Spirit. May we never be vaccinated against it, Lord, but may we embrace the fullness of it. We love you so much. We are so thankful. We are filled with gratitude and worship. And Lord, this morning for each of us as, as we prepare to, to come to the communion table, Lord, that you would speak to each person here. Lord, I don't know the journey or where people are at, whether it's a, a first-time moment of salvation or somewhere in the process of sanctification, Lord, but simply that we would hear and that we would respond and that we would obey. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at hendersonmbchurch.com or email me directly at luke 
at hendersonmbchurch.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.